1: Let's turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all... What gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride. Enjoy. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is truth in your word. When we lean into your word, our hearts can be transformed and changed. You can lift our heads as we study your word, and I pray that you would do that with us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, When I was 13 years old, I had the privilege of auditioning for the Fremont Junior High production of The Wizard of Oz. And for anyone in the room who has not been involved in a middle school theater musical production, I'm going to kind of fill you in on how that works and what the audition process looks like. So the rules were is that anyone who attended the school could audition for any of the roles in the show. I grew up in Arizona, and in in Arizona, a lot of the schools are very large. And so our junior high that was just 7th, 8th, and ninth grade had 1,500 students in there. So there are 1,500 eligible students But, you know, in any play, there's kind of the split between the girl roles and the guy roles. And so if you took those 1,500 students and you divide by two, you would get 750 boys that were eligible to audition for the male roles in the show. But this is not football. So out of those 750 boys, I remember this because I was 13 and I counted at the audition process. And out of the 750 available boys there were 13 that showed up to audition. It's not football. It's, it's musical theater. This is serious business, gentlemen. And out of those 13 boys, the amount of boys who could sing, and I don't mean sing well. I mean, like, find a melody by any means necessary. Out of the 13, the ones that could sing, there was one. and It was me. <laughs> and I felt great about that. Uh, So just out of curiosity, can you guess which role they cast me in in The Wizard of Oz? The Scarecrow. Good guess. When I was 13, I weighed about 80 pounds, and so the drama teacher's like, look, there's a boy that looks like a man of straw already. And so I did that. I was the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, and it looked a little bit like this. I'm just kidding. There's no way I'm showing you that picture. Uh, (laughs) So I was the scarecrow, and then uh, there was a boy that was cast as the tin man who refused to sing, and so he chose to speak the lyrics to every one of the songs all the way through the show. And then the the third male role, which is the lion, was cast with a girl because, again, it was just me. (laughs) And I don't know what your personality type is. That might have made you feel embarrassed or you didn't want to do it or it would make you feel too... Um, awkward. To me, I loved it. It was, it was great. The football guys miss out on this because they're on a team with all boys. I'm on a team with like 40 girls. And it was really cool, and I liked it, and I hope that each one of you have had that moment where you feel that you have found something that you do well. Seeking after that is kind of this joyful path. And I think for me, as a 13-year-old, it was kind of this pivotal experience for me because it was me finding something that I was good at, and it brought me a lot of joy. I enjoyed being on stage. I enjoy being on stage right now. And yet, as a 13-year-old, I I had this very specific vision of what this was going to look like for my life, and I was going to be famous. And it was great and it was the path that I thought would bring me joy. Tonight we're gonna to continue our series called Unshakable as we look in the book of First Thessalonians at what was a unshakable church. If you're just joining us tonight What leads into this book is that there is this baby church plant in the city of Thessalonica, Greece, where Paul and Silas have planted this church, and then they had to leave very, very quickly. They left after three weeks and left this baby church plant behind. And yet, through persecution, in spite of some very challenging circumstances, this baby church plant thrives. They are doing well. This is not a church that is hidden in the basement just trying to hold things together. This church is growing and expanding, and they are resilient. And just as the church of the Thessalonians learned from Paul and Silas, as they imitated Paul and Silas, they became Unshakable. We believe that as we life together, as we pursue and as we imitate the church of Thessalonica, that we too can grow and expand and become resilient Christians with a unshakable heart, an unshakable mind, and an unshakable faith. That's the path we're on tonight. Tonight we are going to look in the end of chapter two, going over the border into chapter three, as we learn about having an unshakable joy. Joy is a deep-rooted and long-lasting delight. I like that. I'm going to say it again. Joy is deep-rooted and long-lasting delight. It's not the smile on your face. It's the smile in your soul. And specifically, I want to ask two questions tonight that I believe will help us to cultivate an unshakable joy. And here's the first one. Where does your joy come from? Are you able to articulate, are you able to locate the source of your joy? Throughout Scripture, the Bible explains several locations where we can find joy. Psalm 32, 1 says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is Forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. I am thankful that there is joy in salvation, that every one of us can wake up tomorrow morning and know that the mistakes of our past are gone because of Jesus' blood, because of his sacrifice, because of his resurrection power. We don't have to walk around with that baggage anymore. We are free. We have a new and eternal life in Christ, and that brings us joy. Psalm 84 4 says, What joy For those who can live in your house, always singing your praises, there is joy in worshiping God and being in his presence, being in in this community, allowing yourself to take time at the beginning of your day in a proverbial or a literal prayer closet and spend time in the presence of God. There is joy in his presence. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I take joy in doing your will, my God. For your instructions are written on my heart. There is joy in pursuing the will of God. When you find your purpose, when you give up your will for his will, when you give up the things of this earth for the things of heaven and you pursue God, there is joy in pursuing his will. All of these things are true. You're gonna find all of these things throughout scripture if you start hunting. But in 1 Thessalonians, Paul and Silas want to zoom in on one specific location where you can find joy, where you can find unshakable joy. And we're gonna go back and reread the verses I opened with in verse 19 and 20, and we're gonna ask this question. Verse 19 says this, after all, What gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? What is Paul asking? He's asking our first question. He's asking, where does your joy come from? And what's the answer, he says? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Who's you? It's the church of Thessalonica. It is church people. He says, if you are going to be unshakable, if you are going to have a resilient joy, let me tell you where our joy comes from. Our joy comes from you. And he doesn't even just say it in a temporal sense of my joy today. He says something kind of crazy. He says, on the day when I will stand in front of the Lord Jesus, do you know who's going to be my crown and my joy on that day? It's you. Which is kind of crazy that he's saying, I'm glad that we're here together. We have this relationship. But I need you to know that our relationship, the joy that I experience from being with this church, from being with believers in Christ, is not something that even is going to last just for today. This is something that I'm going to live the rest of my life. I'm going to die. And on the day that I stand in front of Jesus Christ and I make an account for my life and I'm entered into the kingdom of heaven to be with him for eternity, I'm going to be thinking about You. Because you have brought so much joy into my life that on that day, I'm going to be thinking about you and the joy that you have brought. When I was 16, I felt a very specific calling to go into worship leadership. If you're curious how that happened for me in my life, it happened through hours and hours and hours of spending time at an altar and in prayer and in devotion to God and saying those prayers over and over again, Lord, I want your will. I want to know your will. I want to be with you. I want to give up things to go for the things that you would want me to have. Um, If you're someone in your life right now who is seeking spiritual clarity, I want to remind you that there are no shortcuts. And spending time in the presence of God is the path towards having that direction in your life. And I received this direction, but I'm going to tell you the application took took a while because I had had this first dream that was the dream of applause and the stage. And then I had this God dream that was worship leadership. And for a while in my life, there was this period of time where I was able to kind of duct tape one of the things on top of the other thing and kind of make it work to my advantage a little bit. Because, you know, I live in an era where worship leaders can be famous, so if my goal was to be famous, I could still kind of try and attempt to pull that off. And, you know, I live in America. America has a lot of big churches, and so if the goal was to perform in front of lots of people, well, then you could still kind of, you could pull that off. And there was this time period where those two things kind of fought together and yet were stuck to each other. When I was 22, Manny and I got married, and that year I took on my first full-time job, which was being a worship pastor at a church in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we got into it, and we started doing the work and showing up every day and serving and leading worship and caring for people. And a a very strange thing happened over the first couple years, and um, I I started liking the people. (laughs) And I started loving the people, and I started enjoying the body of Christ, and the source of my joy changed. I think when it started, it was about being known, like I wanted to be known, and as it shifted, it turned into wanting to know the people of God, wanting to care for the people of God, and God surrounded us with brothers and sisters and spiritual parents and spiritual grandparents. I think there was one of... A moment in our early years that was just this brilliant light bulb moment. The church that we were at didn't have a lot of people that were our age, and it was like the Holy Spirit whispered to us one day, your friends don't have to be your age. And And God really opened up some doors for us. We had some very close relationships. One thing that's fun about birthdays is a lot of people that were from the past of your life contact you and say happy birthday. And I had a couple of really fun and meaningful phone calls yesterday with some people from my past, people that are 20, 30, 40 years older than I am who are really important people to me, people who have shaped me, people who have made me into the person that I am. And I'm gonna tell you there is joy and the body of Christ. I don't find it hard to imagine me feeling what Paul said he would feel, that on the day when I show up in heaven and make an account for my life, that I'm going to be thinking about Oak Creek Assembly of God, and I'm going to be thinking about Carbondale Assembly of God in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm going to be thinking about the church that I grew up in and the community of believers, because in that, God has given each one of us an unshakable joy. Paul says, you are my joy. If you are looking for joy tonight, look around. This is what it looks like. It's not flashy. It doesn't look like a car commercial. It doesn't look like the social media thread of an influencer. It looks like real people serving God together. Now, I need pause here for just two minutes and take a small side road because I know that when I talk about finding joy in a community of believers, there are some people in the room who are going to say, ah, I'm not sure that's been my experience because I also know that there are many people and people in this room who have had extremely challenging experiences with church people, so people who know Jesus but also know how to make you lose your mind. And it's, it can be a heavy thing that as I, as I turn the page to have this little moment here, I know that for some people in the room who've been in church for a long time, that could flare up some memories of some experiences that you've had before where church people can have some very hurtful experiences that can stick to your heart and be there. You know, the, the pursuit of holiness is a really, really wonderful thing. But holiness is a terrible weapon. And there's many times that the church has been guilty of using holiness as a measuring stick to decide who's allowed in and who's not, and who's valuable and who's not, and who is worthy and who is unworthy. And if you are someone tonight who has had one of those experiences and you're raising your hand saying, hey, it might have worked for Paul in Thessalonica, but I'm not sure Paul went to the church that I went to, or I'm not sure that Paul has had the experiences that I've had being hurt in a church or being hurt by people who are doing it in the name of Jesus, I'm, I'm not there. I mean, this is why a lot of people have walked away from a relationship with a church like we have here in this room, is because they would say, I've been hurt and I, I, I love the Jesus thing, but I'm not a fan of Jesus people. And in their defense, I think the point is legitimate. I think the reaction to withdraw is unwise but I think their point is legitimate, and I think Paul knew that, and I think Paul said that if there was a way, if we were to have this joy, if we were to find joy in the body of Christ, if we were to find joy in community, this joy needs to be guarded, which brings me to my second question tonight, how do you guard your joy? Let's read on into chapter three tonight. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter three, verses one through five. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's coworker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him, why? To strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith and to keep you from being, what? Shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been Useless. Paul gives us two ways to guard the unshakable joy that we find in a community of believers. In verse 2, Paul sends Timothy to encourage and strengthen. The first way he tells us is that in order to guard joy, we must encourage and strengthen each other. Why did Paul send Timothy? Because he knew that the Thessalonians wouldn't make it on their own. They needed support. They were great and wise and passionate, but they were not designed to stand alone. They needed to be encouraged and strengthened in order to guard their joy. So let's play a little game tonight. If in the last seven days you have experienced anything that you would describe as challenging? Anything that was difficult, anything that was frustrating or annoying, anything that was not easy, uh, would you raise your hand if you've had anything that was, okay, great. Now, wait, hold on, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. So just to make sure if anyone in the room would say the last seven days were completely easy and nothing went wrong and it was flawless and someone gave you $10,000 and you like, magically lost 10 pounds while eating a box of donuts, you can put your hand down. Okay, we're all on the same page. You can put your hand down. Okay, so I dare you the next time someone says, how are you, instead of saying fine, I dare you to say, I've had a challenging week. (laughs) Would you repeat it with me? How are you? I don't mean to be pessimistic, I'm not encouraging you to despair, but if you had asked me, hey Dan, how was your day, or how has your week been, and I say, I've had a challenging week, how would you respond? You would say, I- I'm sorry, T- tell me about it, or what happened? And then you and I would be having an actual conversation. I dare you. <laughs> To do it, it's one of the pitfalls of Christianity culture. It's the I'm fine culture. It's that we walk into the the room and we're like, hey, how are you? I'm blessed. How are you? I'm blessed by the best. (laughs) How are you? I'm the bestest, blessedest person. And it sounds friendly and it sounds pretty, but I promise you it's a trap. Because here's how this works out. If, if I am always uh, autonomous and healthy and thriving, and you are always autonomous and healthy and thriving, we don't need each other. If I'm fine and you're fine, I don't need to come to church. You don't need to come to church because we have no need for each other. We really should just stay online forever and call it quits. Someone has to budge, Someone has to be brave enough to say, I need to be strengthened and encouraged. And I would make the strong argument that every single person in this room needs to be strengthened and encouraged. That no one has advanced past that point of need. The person who got saved yesterday and the person who has been a Christian for 60 years Every single person in this room needs to be strengthened and encouraged. Paul knew that. We need to know that. Stop assuming that the people you go to church with are fine. They're not fine, they need you. The other thing that Paul tells us is he tells us that in order to guard our joy, we must run from temptation. In verse 5, Paul expresses this concern. He says, you know, I hadn't heard anything from you and I was worried that the tempter had gotten the best of you. Many times when we think about temptation, we can think about some of the, the bigger, like very public sins like infidelity or theft or murder. If you look back and you think about maybe the hurt that you've experienced in a church before or hurt that you've experienced in your personal relationships or family relationships, Many times it's not these big things, it's these sneaky things. And I made a list tonight, and the list is what I'm going to call tonight the sneaky sins. And they are subtle, and they don't make a big noise when they start. And they often sneak into churches and into Christian relationships that bring that destruction, that tear apart that joy, that rob a community of believers from unshakable joy. It looks like this. You know, jealousy, you can be jealous that you didn't get that spot at work, but you can be jealous if you didn't get that spot at church. In a community of believers, jealousy can sneak in the door and begin to rob joy from your Christian friends and family. I think of pride as being like the next door neighbor to jealousy. So jealousy says, I want, and pride says, I have. Pride says, I am stronger. Pride is the one that uses holiness not as a pursuit but as a weapon to say, I've been here longer. I deserve more. I have accomplished more. I should receive better things. I should be placed on a higher shelf than other people are placed. And that pride can destroy joy. The next three kind of go together. Bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. In my life, I think of unforgiveness as like the ants in my kitchen where I can like, I can get them all, but tomorrow, I'm gonna have to do it again. I'm gonna have to keep going at it. If you are someone who wants to be free from bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness in your heart, it is going to be a daily discipline in your life to pursue holiness and to get bitterness and resentment out of your soul. And when you bring that into a church body, it is destructive, Think about gossiping. Did you hear? She's getting a divorce. It's terrible. If it does not sound like compassion, it's not. And the other one I put up here was lust. You know, I think there are times where lust can get out of control and have these like grand public explosions, but, you know, lust can destroy a whole lot of things in secret. That's where lust in a person's mind can ruin relationships, can, can break people off from being in a place of safety, from being in a supportive environment. And I think these things are on that list that Paul says, you know, I sent Timothy because I wanted to make sure that you hadn't fallen into temptation. Because if you had not run from temptation, th- this was going to break it all down. If you are going to guard your joy, you need to run from temptation. If you're someone in this room, and as we're naming off these things, you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, saying that that's in you right now, repent, repent and move away. If you're someone who would even recognize that you would feel a temptation to move towards these sinful motivations, run away, run away, and I have, I have faith in you that you can do that because Paul had faith in the, the Thessalonians that they could do that and they did it. They ran away. And that's what he's celebrating here is he's celebrating you have this unshakable joy and you've guarded it. You've guarded your joy by strengthening and encouraging those that are around you and by running from temptation. Your joy has been guarded over and you have this unshakable joy joy. Paul closes chapter 3 with a prayer, and I'm going to use this prayer as a way to close our time together tonight. I believe that joy is one of the greatest motivators that God has given us in our lives. It's not the smile on your face. It's the smile in your soul, and I think there are seasons that you would look at in life, and for some people in the room, it might be years that you would look at in your life and say, I went through a season or years, or I might be sitting there today, and I've just lost the joy. I want you to know that God sees you. He loves you, and he has plans to restore an unshakable joy inside of you, a resilient joy, something that is not easily knocked over, something that is strong, something that is deeply rooted, Joy is a deeply rooted and long-lasting delight, and God has that for you. Even for you to hear me say that tonight, if that makes you feel doubt, I encourage you to challenge your doubt. I encourage you to have faith. I encourage you to lean in towards the promises of your Father and trust Him, trust His Word, trust His promises that He has a good and perfect joy designed for you that will be a rock, that will be a foundation for you to stand on as you go through this life. Let's read Paul's prayer together tonight as we close. This is verse 11 through 13. May God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you Overflows. May He, as a result, make your hearts strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all His holy people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are with us tonight. I feel your presence in this room through our worship, through our conversations, through the study of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the lifter of our heads. If it was not for you, our future would be downcast. We would all be people with a negative perspective. We would all be people without a hope. You are our hope. You are our joy. I thank you for the community of believers you've given to us. I thank you for the friends you've surrounded us with. You've allowed us to find new relationship. Even in this day, God, you have given us new relationship that allows us to lift our eyes and know that you see us and you have not left us alone. You have given us an unshakable joy. I pray for every individual in this room. I pray that as we leave this room tonight that we would be carriers of your presence, that we would be carriers of your joy. We thank you that you are good and that all of your promises are yes and amen. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being
0: with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.